0: Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. (laughs) Welcome to A Special Place in Hell the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Megan. Say hello. Hi. This is this is a first we're really excited because we have a third party with us and I think he's a millennial I'm not sure how (laughs) self-hating he is and that would be Mr. Camille Foster
1: hello welcome hello ladies thank you for having me
0: are you a millennial
1: Uh, (laughs) Um, October 31st 1980 does does that count as a millennial I think I'm right on the border
0: yeah I think you're an elder millennial. millennial yeah yeah
1: yeah, I mean, is okay. I don't know if it's disqualifying. I hate millennials, so what does that mean?
0: Well, you're definitely self-hating. That <laughs> any, yes, anyway, that's true
1: in so many ways.
0: So, yeah, so that counts. So, yeah, and we just learned that you know nothing of our show, uh, which is good not. news. I don't even
1: know who you people are. That's the no, real you thing. don't know. Yeah.
0: So, but you, uh, did, I think you volunteered to come on. Did you win this like in a in an, in an auction? Yes. Was this? I think this was like at your kids. Uh, preschool (laughs) fundraising auction you like (laughs) you raffle off a guest spot on our show yeah
1: I mean I have no idea what you want to talk about but it's fine I love to hear myself talk so just got the uh the monitor turned up really really loud
0: good good we want we want a lot of feedback there okay well Sarah where do you want to start
2: well we should um introduce Camille a little I mean I presume everybody who's listening to this podcast (laughs) knows
0: (laughs) yeah um, he does various things at a place called Freethink. Yes, I remember that part. True, and of course, Camille is uh, one of the the co hosts of the stratospherically popular Fifth Column podcast. Mm-hmm. What else do we need to know about you?
1: Um, I mean, that's 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 kind of it. I'm, I'm Camille at Freethink. I'm Camille Foster in public. I have various ideas about different things. I'm often talking about race and identity. Um, and weird libertarian politics on the board at FIRE. I care a great deal about free speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to be here and talk about whatever.
0: Are you ever going to explain what Freethink does?
1: Well, Freethink is a media company that tells stories about the people and ideas that are changing the world and people who are tackling the world's biggest problems and who ambitiously and believe that they can actually okay, do something
0: okay, about okay, it. okay, okay. sorry, but what what is it really? That's it. What <laughs> is it really? Are you? Ma- but that's like what? Are you making things? Are you? We, are tell, you doing we tell, podcasts? we podcast. We're, we're
1: largely actually. You we were kind of began as a creative agency, and the specialty is documentary films. So we publish a lot of video, um, original video content, short form dot content. Uh, we also acquired Big Think um, in back in twenty twenty. So Big Thing has been around a little bit longer than us, but that brand had sort of languished Mm. a little bit in the sense that the brand aesthetic wasn't terribly modern when we took control of it. And we've been able to revive that and make it a little more exciting and stimulating. And uh, across the two brands, we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the Freethink end and on the Big Think side, a lot of authors and um, academics. So, okay. So is there
0: like a site? Is it a, is it a channel? Yeah. Freethink.com, bigthink.com. We
1: produce stuff for other people, um, in certain contexts. It's, it's a lot like vice meets Ted. Um, it's sort of wired Mm. that, that kind of thing. Um, but the goal at Freethink is always to be genuinely curious, optimistic, um, and not at all, um, cynical. Oh, yeah, I know.
0: It's not, that's, 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 that's not, that's our not in our not, lane. Not here. Definitely not Sarah's. No. <laughs> Sarah is so much more pessimistic than I am. That's one thing we've discovered in our yeah, conversations. Deeply, deeply
1: well, pessimism isn't cynicism. I'd say there's a difference between no. the two. Mm-hmm. No.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we feel like it's maybe a generational thing. Uh, I, I'm a little more optimistic because I remember how things used to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And Sarah has never known any other way yeah because yeah. she's like 14 years old right and has and has seven kids and has so seven. She get out much? yeah so so yeah well we brought you on because we talk a lot about so our place is called our, our place our podcast is called a special place in hell mm-hmm. and that comes from the Madeline Albright quote uh, where she's saying there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other and we since we criticize women a lot on this show that's why that's why this is a special place in hell. But we do talk about men and masculinity a lot, and so we wanted to have uh, a male guest on to to represent mm. uh, your side. Yeah, especially and... someone as
1: masculine as me. So yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, makes a lot of sense now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so maybe, maybe I mean, Sarah, please jump in at any time. But maybe we should just start by asking, what do you think is the most misunderstood? Aspect of being a man.
1: To <laughs> I was so glad that you didn't start by asking what is a woman. Um, felt like we were heading in that direction. Well, we're
0: getting to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a, I know how to do this. Is an arc yeah. in an interview.
1: Well, when when the connection just suddenly disconnects, that don't be surprised. Um, the <laughs> most misunderstood <laughs> thing about being a man. You know what's funny? Um, I I certainly appreciate the and a fundamental nature of kind of the male female gender roles that binary. Um but I'm I'm so much like an avowed individualist that I don't tend to think much about those roles in a lot of context outside of like my two small children. Um and Leah is four she she is a girl um at least for now until she decides otherwise. Mm-hmm. Cohen is a boy. Um, he is five months going on six months. Um, and I think a lot about the things that I see from Leah that kind of seem traditionally feminine to me um, and the, the ways in which she seems to, and I know that this, this is somewhat controversial, um, but to my eye seems to manifest these kind of like feminine um, maternal instincts um, towards her, towards her brother.
0: Um, oh, interesting. I thought you were going to say she's emotionally manipulative.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. She yeah. doesn't have the sophistication for that. No, um, but it starts At the early. moment, it's it just sort of rage. Early. Yeah. Um, But, you know, for me, I suppose some of the things that surprise me uh, having recently still, I think, still think about it as recently anyways, recently become a father is how much of the, the stuff that I would have expected to be kind of the, the female, like maternal instinct. Like, I, I don't know how else to describe like the way that I feel about my children and Mm -hmm. the, the various times I will catch myself just kind of thinking about some basic, um, interaction that we have. And it'll kind of like make me feel on a very mushy and teary eyed. And, um, I get emotional like a lot. Um, and they are my raison d'être, and all of the things that I do professionally now kind of have taken on a different taint. So, I, I think that there's it's perhaps misunderstood that men are supposed to be, you know, kind of stoic and removed from that sort of thing, and um, to not be kind of emotional um, and and vulnerable in those ways. Uh, but for me, and certainly for a lot of the men that I know, like that's just kind of a part of our it's a part of our experience, something that we in some cases need to try to talk about, but I don't think that that's so uncommon for women either.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question and feel free to not answer this, um, but <laughs> okay. you know, so you interviewing a technique. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you just like <laughs> hop off, for, for, um, <laughs> do you feel so, I you know, after becoming a mother, I felt, that I changed a lot. And you mentioned, you felt that you changed a lot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, me and my husband, we discuss sort of from the perspective of the other, how much, in what ways we've changed. Um, So could you, did you notice a shift in your wife as she became a mother, that was surprising to you or different than what you expected? Or was it, was it kind of on board with, with what you thought would happen already?
1: That's an interesting question um I think she's in some ways kind of more herself like I, I see certain aspects of of my wife Tracy kind of come to the fore as she's being as she's being maternal and being motherly um, but but they're not kind of new characteristics um, she's always been kind of compassionate and driven and focused um, to see her kind of utilize those same, those same attributes in the context of her being mom um, is, mm-hmm. is interesting um, in ways that I didn't expect. Um, mm-hmm. But she also just kind of seems like kind of completely herself in that role as well. Um, and I think uh, we we've, we've been dating since I was, I think I was 15 when I met Tracy, I think we started dating formally when I was around 16 or 17 years old. Wow. So it's been a very, we've been at this a while and we spent most of that time <laughs> just doing what we wanted to do, like traveling, seeing the world, building companies, and just enjoying each You never broke up. Other. You
0: never had periods of breaking up and I getting think, back together. I think
1: we may have been broken up for like three months at some
0: point. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> like when you were still in high school or uh, college. as adults?
1: It was college. And, and, and you three went to the same college. Co-
0: did you did you meet in high school and we then We met in high school. College? I
1: was a year ahead of her, so I graduated uh, a year before her. Um, and we had that kind of year apart um where I was at University of Maryland and she was still back at our high school. Um, but then she did come to Maryland and we were we were there together. Um
0: Wow. Yeah. Were you like yeah. a couple? Were you an undergraduate couple? Yeah. Like did you live in like an apartment together?
1: Well, no, I mean we was lived it... on the we lived on campus. Um, but you know, there's it's kind of but like did you have a, like a household, together. but were you like playing house? <laughs> yes. I mean, students? you know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't because it would as an undergrad that would have been unthinkable. Oh no, you like can totally in, in my do that time. sort of
1: thing. Like they can spend the night and stuff. See, now these are oh, things no, I, I know, wonder if like, it's, in- it's appropriate for me to say on on a podcast because at some point, like my children may listen and Daddy will have no, different won't. rules. No, they are not they're, to this they're, one. They're, these files okay. are just, <laughs> by the time. Yeah. That, okay. Good. Yeah.
0: They won't even be able to play whatever these files are. Won't even be playable on whatever technology is uh-huh, around yeah. when they're that age. But, but the yeah. the
1: new AI software will be out there. It'll find all of the audio of Daddy and all of the things that he said, and find all of the things that you can <laughs> use true. as weapons to defeat him in some argument. So, yeah, okay. Let's pre- well, we'll presume no, it's fine. I'm, I'm just going right. to continue saying all of the things. So.
0: Okay, but I just to be clear, I wasn't expressing surprise that like mm-hmm. she would people were sleeping over. It's yeah. just that to be an undergrad and sort of be in a in a committed relationship mm-hmm. as if you were adults, mm-hmm. that would not have gone on when I was in college yeah. as an undergrad. I mean, there was way. there was
1: some some staying over, but I, I'd also say that we were both like very devout evangelicals in college, so there were there were okay. limitations on the mm-hmm. the the intimacy. Uh, and we, try, okay. we tried. We our best to skirt the rules, but <laughs> to not break
2: them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if I have permission to say more than that. Yeah. So
2: well, well put. Right. Though. I think I think we understand.
1: Everybody, but that's knows.
2: that is really interesting. That you know, I I had a similar experience, like what Megan was. I think what Megan was referring to, which is that it was just not common to see a lot of people who are in committed relationships that seemed lasting you know that mm-hmm. seemed adult and real instead of just sort of a hookup culture um you know short-term um, mm-hmm. you know, brief dalliances um I do I do remember one couple like that and yes they were religious and that was mm-hmm. sort of in my mind I was like oh that's why they, <laughs> that's why they can do this there's these different scripts that they're mm-hmm. running. Um, of how life should be and what's what's normal um, and what's desirable, and it's different because they are extremely religious. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: I mean, if I if I'm honest, like I'm I'm kind of grossed out and weirded out by a lot of the casual intimacy that I see like in society mm-hmm. today. Like mm-hmm. I, i You never... mean like
0: when you see people making out on the subway? No, you're no. Like, I, I mean
1: like, <laughs> like, oh, I met, I met a stranger. What if stranger. they're really attractive? <laughs> no, I, that's fine. I mean, make, look making out and stuff is one thing, but the, <laughs> the the overnight like we met, um, there was a sexual conquest, and I'm kind of thumping my chest. I don't, I don't even know her last name. Like it weirds me out. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. actually know how to navigate that world. I have no experience in it. Um, if my wife and I were tomorrow to decide, ah, it's been fun, but let's get divorced. Like I, I don't know how to navigate. Oh, I don't these recommend things. that. So telling you, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I don't think there's anything. I don't think that that's. I, I think a lot of people are skeeved out by this, or not skeeved out, but just dismayed. And it's kind of uncool to admit that you're dismayed. So you have to go along with it.
2: And it's a but. trap. You know, you can't come you, once you're in it, once you started the, the hookup culture path, it's it's hard to, you know, turn the train around. Mm. Because the ascent, incentives are so strange for everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of young people, like very, very young people, I, I noticed this movement among Zoomers to just be, I don't want to say prudes, but they certainly are sex negative, like, or some, some small percentage of them in a way that I've never seen before, hmm. um, you know, especially it coming from, like, the youth. <laughs> um, but I think there are a lot of young women who are unhappy with the way um, hookup culture uh, makes them feel um and they feel it's it's almost like a red pill scenario um but for you know women, pink pill scenario i don't know what what these pills are mm. or what they mean but you know that it feels <laughs> like that there's <laughs> they don't need to be on them though in any case right. there's the, but, but i i notice it and um now that i'm on tiktok which is just another world man um yeah, I've, what
0: I've, why did you get on like now that i'm on tiktok was this well no no no. i'm not like decision? on it
2: but i have just i'm, a, no, I'm just I know, a you're passive at it. yeah i'm just looking at it man it is addictive Ugh. it is but that's where all the young why people did you are start that because i well i just want to know what the what the youth are doing <laughs> what's what's going on i don't you know so twitter just doing research where we are twitter is and well facebook is like boomer central right but twitter is also like old now, you know, like everyone on mm-hmm. Twitter is like it's like an it's an older crowd. Um, and TikTok is just it's so youth centric and it was actually like almost unintelligible. Like their aesthetic, <laughs> you know, what what a what even a video is. I I didn't realize, you know, uh uh what the format meant. You know, I didn't realize the the taste um, until I got on it, and now I'm now I'm kind of addicted because their algorithm is incredible. Um, but but um, I notice a lot of young people, like young women, and they're saying things about you know about uh, hookup culture. They're talking about how it does it 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 makes them feel devalued as as women, and um, they're looking for other options. So that's very interesting in a kind of a secular world to see these. Um, social norms that I, you know, for a very long time associated powerfully with religiosity um, come back into the fore, um, but in a, in kind of the secular context.
0: Camille? Yeah. Do you have a response No, to that? no,
1: I've, I've, I've seen some of the same things. I, I try to avoid talking to people who are too much younger than me, so I don't really know what the kids are doing anymore. I think after I turned forty one, I decided, oh, no, no, I'm actually a grown-up now, and I, I don't really know what's cool, and I don't have to pretend to know what's cool or even have an interest in knowing what's cool. I know what I'm interested in, and that is about it. And I hate most other things. Um, but but I have yeah, I have noticed this kind of drift away um, from some of the kind of casual, casual sex um, mm-hmm. and the hookup culture. And I, I do think in general, like for me, that's been a very satisfying way. To go about to go about life to kind of view to view my own my own body and my own um, like experiences with someone sexually is something that's prized that should be valued and that I don't kind of give away casually, which is definitely mm-hmm. a result of my evangelical upbringing, I suspect, um, mm-hmm. and my wife's as well. Um, but is also something that I I think. I used to teach a Bible study on on campus when I was in college, and I was a very, very serious evangelical. And one thing I would say pretty often in those contexts was even if I discovered that all of these things turned out to be untrue, I wouldn't have any regret about the things that I've I've decided not to do, about the way that I've lived my life. I just think that this Mm -hmm. is a better way to live. Um, Mm -hmm. And in many respects, that's true, Um, I think, Mm -hmm. with the exception of um, having harbored enmity Um, And contempt towards people who have lifestyles that are kind of decidedly different from mine. Um, That's probably about the only thing uh, about that period of my life that I kind of regret uh, and lament.
0: Wait, so you're talking about just being homophobic and yes. things like this. I yeah. mean you've talked about this before. Uh-huh. This isn't yeah, a yeah. secret. Yeah. No,
1: yeah, I mean yeah. I'm I'm both Jamaican and <laughs> and former yeah. evangelical. So, so between the two inter- I get it twice. This is
0: intersectional bigotry. Oh my
1: god. On your part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I wasn't yeah. I wasn't the worst offender, but I mean it was <laughs> it was palpable. So
0: so that's so interesting. So if, what are I'm curious because Sarah has kind of a similar trajectory. What are the things that you feel that have have been so valuable for you taking from religion? Like it sounds like you're sort of saying that you have a kind of secret power because you developed a kind of discipline or just way of looking at the world that has served you really well, even if you've discarded the religious component. So like, what are some of those, those things?
1: Um, I think having a sense of, of purpose. And uh, and, an orientation towards trying to fulfill that purpose, uh, a sense of a of a code, um, various various ideas with respect to just integrity and um, honest uh, honor uh, and respect for others, and a sensibility that you will be held to account. I think that that's actually like really valuable. Um, And then to to perhaps get a little less um, spiritual. just the bookishness of the culture. Like I I actually grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church and Mm. with a lot of these new religions, there's pretty deep literature and a need to kind of understand your ideas well enough to be able to argue about them with other people who are going to say that they're weird because they are a little weird. So I read a lot as a kid um, and was encouraged to do that. And we would constantly have these really... Sophisticated, at least for the context, conversations about um, our convictions. So I think those are kind of some of the attributes of what was so valuable to me.
0: Yeah, it's like a debate society you grew up in.
1: Yeah, That's for sure. Interesting, for sure.
0: Wow,
2: Sarah, do yeah. you have a similar? You experience? know, uh, I was kind of a. I, I don't know if I the entire culture was that like that because with. With my the Muslim community I grew up in, this was like post 9-11 was when I was kind of becoming, you know, a teenager and like a young woman and thinking about these ideas um, more explicitly. And so there was this hesitancy to be very religious in public, like in a proselytizing way, even if you mm-hmm. felt very strongly about your religion because of, you know, just fears in general about, um, you know, anti-Muslim bigotry and just this general discomfort. Um, you know, as the the war on terror proceeded, um, that I think all Muslim Americans felt pretty powerfully at that time, even if it wasn't. It actually wasn't reflective in terms of hate crimes or anything. Um, all in all, Americans continued to be very tolerant, um, but understandably, it didn't feel that way <laughs> at that time. Um, so I. I so the culture wasn't like I think the rest of the, the Muslim community wasn't very like openly, you know, debating or proselytizing or anything. But I was always that way. <laughs> and it didn't really, you know, <laughs> it not stop me. Um, um, and I always had that orientation, too, um, of just uh, studying my religion and also trying to pull people into it because I genuinely believed you know, in my heart, my soul, that this is the best way to live. And I wanted to save my friends from, you know, not just a terrible life on earth, but also in the hereafter. Um, And so I, I made that, yeah, I, I would, I would be having all these long conversations with, you know, like Becky from gym class about... <laughs> um, wait, is that, is that a
0: euphemism? <laughs> Becky no, that gym is class? Like there's an
2: act, tr- actual girl named Becky <laughs> who was a friend of mine. We would jog together because we were both um, terrible. Uh, and so we were like super slow right at the end.
0: But wait, you um, expected Becky to like convert to Islam? No, no, no,
2: no, no. I just... I just uh, it, it wasn't so deliberate as that. It was just a general orientation towards you know trying to welcome people into uh you know a, a belief system that i thought was superior i mean kind of it's not too different from the way that i am now right like I'm, we're we're kind of like we're sharing our perspective. We want, you know, other people to hear it <laughs> oh. and other people to that, like, you're,
0: you're trying to convince the audience to live a better life. Is that what, is that what this whole project is? I'm
2: definitely trying to convince the audience about something. Right. Like, and i that's why I'm writing and that's why I'm speaking because there's, I, I still have that same orientation of trying to, you know, get my ideas out there and, you know, have them be challenged by the world and challenge the world by them. Right. So, um, uh, so there's that still exists, and that that orientation hasn't changed with me. What's changed is the the actual belief system. So I left Islam, um, and I became kind of I wouldn't say a militant atheist, but I was definitely somebody who was very unhappy with religious belief and very suspicious of anything that uh, smelled like. It could be related to religious belief for a long time, and then uh, sort of I grew out of that a bit, and I began exploring the idea that maybe you know not every norm that is adopted by religious groups is a bad one, and in fact maybe the opposite is true that most of them are fairly good and fairly helpful for most people most of the time, um, and that that's been sort of my new my the, the next step in my you know personal journey Hmm. um you know in and out of faith
1: well sarah i'm i'm curious because i'm someone who at some point kind of moved away from the being a very devout evangelical and there were some questions that i couldn't resolve and i can just distinctly remember talking to a friend um, and sharing some of my concerns and my my uncertainty and being greeted with a response or she quoted some scripture and said, "The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing." Which at the moment I didn't actually think I was perishing. I just thought, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It feels mm-hmm. like something we should we should talk out. Do you have the same concerns? And the response was essentially, "You're not allowed to have concerns." And that that became mm-hmm. a huge problem mm-hmm. for me, and was kind of the mm-hmm. beginning of of a deliberate, eventually moving away um, from that faith tradition but I've always had trouble embracing the notion of being kind of uh, an avowed atheist. And for a while was, I think it would be fair to say I was an agnostic. And at the moment, I don't, I don't know that any of those labels really apply to me. Like I, Mm. I hear a guy like David Bentley Hart, who's like a, a, an uh, American Eastern Orthodox theologian who writes a number of things. And he's, He's actually written a number of scathing books um, against atheism, which mm. I haven't read and I'm not particularly fond of. I don't need those books. But I am more interested in some of his other work that are about just kind of the majesty of the universe and how mm. incredible it is that we are here at all. And mm-hmm. kind of ascribing um his belief in God to a, a belief that the entirety of of the universe exists kind of within some sort of cosmic entity, and that entity is God, not mm-hmm. a galactic kind of architect who mm-hmm. is manipulating things necessarily, but a, 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 maybe a divine consciousness that we're all a part of. And I have no idea if that is true or if it makes any sense, but it does to me seem to at least respect something that a lot of like materialist thinking about like how we got here and what it's all about, like, is always, is always seemed a little hollow to me. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the, the notion that it's just, it's just matter just kind of went kaboom at some point and Mm -hmm. here we are. And at some point you won't be here anymore. There's something a little more spectacular to all of this than that to me. Um, and I don't, I don't need to live forever. I don't need to believe. Um, that that kind of someone is watching over me and is making determinations about all of the things that I might do. But I do have a profound appreciation for being here now and sharing these moments with the two of you and with so many other people. And um, you know, I'm I'm privy to the suffering that some people go through in their lives, and I I great I get that I'm very privileged related to that. But it also just seems to me that there's there's something important about having a real appreciation for kind of the the majesty of the universe and the the mm-hmm. remarkableness of our being here at all.
2: And and do you think that appreciating that is, you know, in your in your own mind that that's a, a necessarily a religious orientation?
1: I don't know, I, but I suppose it's because I don't really know what what the word religious means in that in that context. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's a sense of of awe, um, mm-hmm. and in that respect, perhaps it's it's somewhat religious. But I mean, when I read um the uh, Einstein biography, um, not too long mm-hmm. ago, like there were there was a lot of talk about kind of Einstein's belief in like his his God, like in Spinoza's God. And perhaps mm. my sense of religiosity is somewhat like that. Like I'm very interested in the the details of quantum mechanics, and I don't and relativity, and I don't need to believe things. Kind of despite the fact that science is telling me something different. Um, but I also am not merely satisfied to have some sense about kind of the the galactic web or the Planck length, and think, oh, that's that's it. You know, it's all just it's all just atoms (laughs) and empty space. Yeah, there's there's something dissatisfying about that. And there's something that feels kind of forcefully and curious about it as well. Ironically. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it forcefully and curious, because I mean, you have to uh, sometimes I think like it just seems all too convenient that all of these things evolved in exactly this way in this amount of time. And we got to be here. I mean, I'm not making an argument for Mm -hmm intelligent design or anything like that but i do see i do see uh that what's there's something appealing and i think there's something valuable about that particular
2: line of inquiry yeah so um, there are atheists um who you know who i think articulate that sense of awe and wonder fairly well but they're I think they're rare. You know, you have Carl Sagan and basically mm-hmm. no one else who can do yeah. it the way he <laughs> yes. can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Sagan, and, you know, Sagan and, and Richard Feynman is another like great writer in, in that vein, mm-hmm. I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. But no, the demon haunted world is like one of my favorite books and mm-hmm. is like very important to me. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I share that sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I, I for me, it's um I think the f- philosophical uh, divergence that sort of happened at some point—I don't know when—in my own mind was uh, this feeling that what is good is not necessarily what is true. Does that make sense? Like, hmm. or is that does that sound crazy? But in the sense go, that, go on. Well, that's like
0: naturalistic fallacy. Are you talking about that?
2: Well, Something like that, but just I—I I generally assumed when I was leaving religion, and it was, you know, I was encountering the, uh, you know, l- logical fallacies within, you know, my specific faith, um, but just claims of God in general, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the the claims that science was making about the origins of the universe and the development of, you know, humanity as like an, an organism, and clearly that was. You know, true in a way that the religious version was was not true, and so that that had a lot to do with my atheism and why I'm still an atheist. In that, I still think that there's a correctness um, in in sort of this this atheist version of how we developed and uh, what the what the universe actually is, um, but religion certainly gives it a meaning that doesn't exist in, mm. in that secular sense. And even, even with, um, you know, amazing, uh, articulators of that stance, like Carl Sagan, I think there, I, I agree that there's something lacking. Um, uh, and, that, and it is that sense of meaning, that sense of transcendental, like, you know, appreciation of something larger than yourself, which is as a, maybe a vo- moral virtue, um, something that is desirable in humanity (laughs) um even if it is not quote unquote true which is kind of a strange stance that that i'm at now um i wonder if you have anything to say about that if that's just gibberish to you
1: no i think i think i understand i mean and and in and in truth i don't have i don't have any um disagreement with kind of the the standard explanations for you know how we got here or or what the cosmos is to the extent we have good explanations for that but it does seem to me that once you get into the realm of oh well the reason why we have the particular kind of physical laws that we do is because we live in a multiverse and all of the things that could possibly exist actually exist and there's kind of an infinity of universes and it goes on forever and ever there's a sort of like waving of the hand in a perspective mm-hmm. like that, where maybe that's right, maybe that's true, but it actually leaves more to be explained and not less. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm not I'm not satisfied by that. Mm-hmm. It's actually an explanation. It, it seems to me that there's a, a sense in which once you understand like how little we actually know about all that there is, um, that it it leaves me kind of more. Kind of gobsmacked and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. curious about yeah. what it all really means than before. Mm-hmm. There's a sense mm-hmm. in which yeah. it's clear that you know the the Bronze Age thinkers who were who who gave us certain religious traditions um, they couldn't possibly imagine just how spectacular and miraculous and strange the universe really is, um, mm-hmm. and they they gave us something. Uh, perhaps that kind of pointed in the direction of um, of explaining what it what all of this is, but it couldn't possibly grapple with um, the the actual complexity that exists. But even now, you know, it seems to me that a lot of people's perspective um, informed by materialism like t- tends to be like very reductive and mm-hmm. not at all like awe inspiring. And, and hey, it's just an accident. I mean, you know, you just happen to be here because of this this sort of cosmic blip, Uh, so it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter, (laughs) and there's just so much about my experience that says otherwise. So much about the kind of mysteriousness of consciousness that says otherwise. I just find myself persistently amazed by the fact that I'm here and the fact that I get to talk to spectacular people like the two of you and that I have these these people in my life my wife my mom and my kids and it gets really kind of amazing um the the highs and the lows how,
0: how do you I'm curious Camille if you have ever thought about how this kind of uh, resistance or aversion to thinking about, what did you say? The mysteriousness of consciousness, how that maps on to, I'm just going to say it, the culture wars, what Mm. we're seeing, the the nature of discourse. Now, I mean, you guys started your show in 2016. You talk about a lot of things, but Mm -hmm. let's face it, you are interrogating the current mode of thinking. And it's very much the opposite of awe right? It's hmm. very much not really engaged in the natural world. It's it's an entirely different system of references. And do you think that the, it's become almost unfashionable to think about the larger world because that is somehow not attending to like some kind of rigged up idea of a social justice project, or I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of throwing out a lot of ideas here, but like, yeah, what's, what's, what are we getting wrong here? What What's missing from people's lives that they've resorted to this kind of mindset?
1: I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've heard some of the same theories that, that both of you have, um, with, you know, friends of mine who are, I'd say from the right, will often talk about like the absence of religion, um, and how the kind of lack of faith, um, and, kind of shared values has created the circumstance where people needed a, a civil religion and now are kind of fundamentalist in a different, in a different way and in a different context. And as a result, like there's all of this kind of social justice excess, um, which has actually created a lot of kind of reactionary fervor on the right as well. Um, that's manifested itself in some pretty toxic ways. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure what the connection is between kind of, uh, an appreciation for kind of the mystery of all of the things um, and uh, a fixation on particular kind of social issues and and a kind of fundamentalist approach to trying to address and and talk about those social issues and even fight for them and advocate for them in the sense that you you can't deal with people who disagree with you fundamentally. Um, I do know that I've become increasingly exhausted By the culture war broadly. (laughs) Exhausted. (laughs) That's exhausted (laughs) TM. And I I find I find that I'm I'm desperately trying to find ways to kind of extricate myself from certain kinds of arguments, to circumvent them and to refocus attention on the fact that in general, most of us kind of want and care about the same things. And if we're given the opportunity and someone is kind of appropriately complicating narratives around things that we're actually arguing about will find that like we actually object to the same kinds of things as well yeah. beneath the surface. You know, it's not, I don't actually care as much about, you know, 1619 project in, in public schools as much as I care about the fact that, you know, literacy rates are actually a, abysmal and that right. reading standards are generally not attained by any of these school systems for like the average kid in K through 12 schools. Like it, it doesn't. They don't know about Bacon's Rebellion. They're probably not going to remember much of the details about the, the horrid relationship that is imagined to exist between slavery and capitalism. Um, people mm-hmm. have these, these just kind of these guttural unctions when it comes to philosophy and politics, um, and kind of contending with that in a more honest way and recognizing the general inadequacy of a lot of the programs that exist. Yeah. Um, It seems to me like far more important and I would just I would rather expend my energy doing that even if it's even if it's kind of less viscerally appealing to Mm -hmm. to people who are kind of desperately looking for cudgels to to beat the other side. with.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm wondering how you sort of square that with what appears to be necessary to succeed in this current media ecosystem because leaning really hard into culture war stuff is how you build an audience. It's how you keep an audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys on the fifth column and you in particular, I think have been very disciplined about not not going too far down those roads. You you really are very clear what, what any rational person's priority should be and what we really should be worried about. You don't indulge. You really don't. But do you worry about how to just sort of keep going in this, in this media environment? Or do you feel like you've, you're far enough along that you're not worried about this stuff anymore? Um, Because Sarah and I talk about this on this show. I mean, this is a new podcast and uh we have a lot of conversations like, should we have, you know, this kind of person on, you know, should we have this YouTuber on? Should we talk about this kind of, you know, juicy clickbaity, but maybe not so substantive thing for a while? And it's a hard call.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't worry about that stuff as much. And and it may be that I don't I don't really have to in that um I like I don't make my living doing the fifth column. Like I do that because because I want to. Um and there's like revenue associated with it, but I don't need it. Like it doesn't it doesn't pay my mortgage or anything. Um mm-hmm. it's it's gen it's genuinely me talking to people who I would talk to anyways for a couple of hours a week and other people get to listen in and that's fine and it's unfortunate and that we are kind of sufficiently on the same wavelength, that we broadly don't have an inclination to get caught up worrying about, you know, certain kinds of cultural conflicts and can avoid them altogether. Um, uh, and, you know, beyond that, you know, am I concerned that by not giving folks the, the red meat that they perhaps become accustomed to or that they, they're more inclined to want and or that they're getting in other contexts? Um, I'm not too worried about that either. I mean, I, I think that there's probably always going to be an audience for the kind of thing that I'm interested in talking about and that I'm interested in focusing on. I think it's also the case that a lot of people are actually growing more um, exhausted and annoyed yeah. mm-hmm. by a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. And then a lot of people who have leaned too hard into it um, are going to find that they've they've kind of made themselves irrelevant. So I think it's far mm-hmm. more important to, to talk about things that you actually genuinely believe are important and worth talking about and to to be open and candid with people um and to be authentic.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I'm kind of split I think. Um because I do agree with you Camille that it's boring. It's starting to, aspects of it are boring. I mean, I think that some of the gender stuff is is extremely interesting to me now. Yeah, but, we can't get enough of that Yeah, we can't we, we're just yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, uh, but, but some of the, the, the standard sort of race talk, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, it's that is, that is boring to me now. And I don't want to engage in it. Having said, having said that, I still, I have that warrior mindset, um, mm-hmm. that activist mindset. Like, I still think that those ideas are unfortunately out there and they yeah. are too prominent, much too prominent. And yeah. I, I haven't seen them recede too much in terms of. Um, in terms of of prevalence among a certain set of of people, in fact, I'm I, I think in some ways they've expanded, and that's very mm-hmm. concerning. But that's to you me, you just joined TikTok. That's because you just started. <laughs> I joined <in> TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I mean TikTok is. Yeah.
1: And, and if they haven't I'm expanded, gonna, yeah, they've <laughs> at least they've calcified in certain institutions. <laughs> yeah. like there is there is yeah. a way that we talk about things now, and we're no longer deciding whether or not like Ibram Kendi should be. Um, listen to or not, it's a matter of how many times he should be sainted, and I right. get I get that, like I understand it, yeah. but I also there's a very real sense in which it feels like cash for clunkers to me. And while many people are kind of concerned about like woke Armageddon, um, I I see cash for clunkers. Like it, it seems to me that mm. these these programs simply can't work. These ideas have they they only have so much. Kind of potency when put into practice, these institutions destroy themselves. The the people kind of fight amongst themselves. They become sclerotic as opposed to dangerous. And it's not. But how long so much is it
0: going to take
1: for it to? Well, that's just it. I mean, you can destroy yourself and go on with your poisonous ideology. It but could, have it could entire, become ruinous like- to a society broadly if it kind of loses its way. But this is this is the issue. From my perspective um, people have been so consumed by kind of fighting wokeness, um, which is a phrase that I've, I've become even like averse to using because I, I don't know. think it, I don't think it clearly defines like what the problem is. It's just like Karen. It's just something I just know.
0: It's so hard to find an alternative though. Um,
1: well, I think that the, the alternative might be not so much, what do we call them, but like, how do I describe and define like my ideas and my values? Like what is, uh, so I've been working, um, uh, kind of secretly, I'll just tell you guys because whatever. Uh, but I've been working on a, a like a book proposal for a while now and trying to wrap my head around like the sort of thing I would actually like to think about um, it, it, in a sustained way to the point where I could actually finish a project like that. And what's become <laughs> clear to me is I only want to talk about like my perspective. I wouldn't want to spend like months obsessing over the various kind of social dysfunctions that that make me, That agitate me. So, I think a lot about the world I want to live in and what the values of that world are um, and what the things are that seem um, vital to having a a vibrant life and living in a vibrant society. Um, And I think being able to talk in an articulate way about what your values are um, and being able to do that at a high level um, is probably far more important than just being able to kind of deconstruct. Um, Or confront uh, bad ideas or constantly being on the defensive um, or kind of trying to replace one kind of set of politically motivated propagandistic ideas that are seeping into public institutions with another set of (laughs) Right, but how are you going to
0: – so you're writing a manifesto? Is that what you're saying? Uh, of
1: sorts, I suspect. Or you're
0: writing 12 – this is your 12 rules of life.
2: <laughs> Yes. Oh, so exciting. Clean your room,
1: like really clean your room. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> do a deep cleaning. It. Yes, exactly. But,
0: but, Have you been but to the dentist? You, Well, I mean, as somebody who has suffered through several book projects, yeah. how are you going to do this without providing the context, telling people what's going on?
1: Oh, no, I, the think, I, I think mean, we you don't can, have to hash through your I think you can do some outline. of that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think about like Jonathan Rauch's um, uh, book. Uh, um, the
0: Constitution of Knowledge.
1: Not not Constitution of Knowledge so much. Um, I, I, liked, oh, I like Kindly half of that book. Kindly Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where he, there's, there's this like very thoughtful and substantive defense of free speech. And he certainly provides some of the context. Um, but this is a book that's really giving you a sensibility about about the values and why they're valuable, more than anything else, in my estimation, mm-hmm. and I think there's a real opportunity to do that. And I think there mm-hmm. there are ways that you can provide that that context um, without it being a you know woke people are in a cult. Like I don't know. Maybe they are. I'm not sure that they imagine that they are. I'm not sure that that's a particularly valuable way to try to help them extricate themselves from that, which ultimately is what I hope happens because we have to live here together. We have to figure out like how you hope
0: they extricate themselves from the cult or... I hope they extricate themselves
1: saying? from the bad ideas that they're in the thrall of in general. I, I hope that for people on the left and the right. And for me, I think that the bad ideas are probably a little more fundamental, right? Like it's it's less about, well, you know, race shouldn't be um thought of in these ways. Like for me, I, I just think race is completely preposterous and that that it's not a matter of whether you're being um, color proud um, or color blind, like these are these are things that exist on the same within the same racialist paradigm, and there's a very real sense in which being color bra- co- color blind was never good enough. I don't need to learn right. to ignore things that don't exist. Like I don't believe in poltergeists, so I don't call the Ghostbusters.
0: See, this is. I feel like this is where you get very utopian. Yes. Sarah, sure. I, one land? needs to be
1: I, in my estimation. <laughs> like you have to, you have to Sarah, strive how does for something yeah. to
2: you. You know, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. in but ter- I I think race, r- race as a construct specifically is not, it's, it, you're right that it's, it's trying to capture something that a little bit doesn't exist. And then a little bit is a combination of a bunch of other things uh, that it doesn't sufficiently um, capture the edges of any way. Um, and I also agree that this is a concept that we are leaning so heavily on when it should just be, you know, uh, you know, one of the we, we rattle off the many things that, that make up a person's personality, or context or perspective. Um, and maybe maybe race can be a part of that. But it, I, 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 I tend to agree that it is, I wouldn't say it's preposterous, but I do think that it is widely just overblown. Um, and it is certainly something that I've been thinking about a lot more in, 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 you know, context, in, in, even as I think about myself, you know, like I remember when I was younger, I didn't think about race as, as much as I do now. And I didn't think about myself as, you know, a POC or <laughs> woman of color or whatever, the way that I, now the way that I used to which was I, I it was not my my world was not racialized in the way that I think our current discourse forces it to be racialized oh, nobody's in the sense of this
0: world was this is unprecedented I would say
2: yeah yeah and it's divisive and it's it feels intuitively hateful almost to me you know um I remember the first we, we we thought about discussing this in another podcast but um i went to a diversity training in one of my <laughs> real jobs I've, has anybody else gone to one of those Megan, i know I've never you have had haven't a because job. you you've never had a job real job no but camille have you been camille, to one have
1: you? i've i've never had to attend one i've i've watched the content in a bunch of different contexts but i've never been subjected to it
0: like they force you to watch it or something like that. Yeah, I've
1: never, I've never had that sort of situation. Like your eyes I
2: pried open. Work.
1: I work for myself. <laughs> yes. Like Blackwork Orange. Lockwork is Orange Alex
2: style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to go to one, and uh, I remember, I remember it was so. It was. It, it's so the the stuff that they say that's true is like obvious, and, and no one needs to hear it really. No adult needs to hear it. Um, and then they 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 inculcate. A race consciousness, you mm-hmm. know, but it's supposed to be in this like positive way, you know, um, and to get white people to be more considerate and to, you know, to get brown people to stand up for themselves or whatever. But it, <laughs> but I think it has, it has an uh, the unintended effect of just making people more, m- more racialized, right, and 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 thinking along those terms. But I remember um, where I was working at that time, there were a lot of blacks who who were from like Africa or the Caribbean, you know, that, but like not African-American really, but like immigrants. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, like, because I was sitting in the corner with them, with like the brown people. and
1: uh, <laughs> as, as, as you do, as, because you're forced as, to. You know, with yeah. my
2: kind, I would, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, be yeah. self-sorted. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I remember a lot of them chafing at some of the, 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 the you know, the talk about, uh, you know, when you enter a room, you know, you should t- take into consideration, you know, how you're approaching uh, a marginalized person mm-hmm. and how your words might be affecting them. And I remember one one woman raised her hand. She's um, a black woman. I don't, remember, I don't remember what origin, but I remember she had mm-hmm. some accent, like mild. And she said, look, I just want people to just treat me as a professional <laughs> who, you know, as somebody competent, who, who's coming into work and, and, you know, is your colleague and treat me with that level of respect. And that's it. And then, and then a white woman raised her hand and said, I disagree with that. I, think, I can't, I can't know, do that for blindness. you.
1: I can't do that for you, colored girl. <laughs>
2: she, said, she, said, she said about how colorblind is a, is actually a form of racism. Yeah. She said that. And, yeah. and I just, it's burned into my brain. This, mm-hmm. this exchange, um, because I think it, it, there's so many people of color who kind of feel the same way. And then, and then you're just being told to, well, no, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was my diversity training experience. I don't think wow. that helped matters.
1: I mean, I, I'd say, I'd say that there's more than just people of color who feel the same way. I mean, and this mm-hmm. is, and this for me is kind of the whole thing. Like I, I'm looking for reasons not to wholesale, like abort race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know it's already out of the womb, but I, but i still like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't see a reason not to jettison it. I don't find that there is anything particularly valuable. I don't imagine that there is anything that all black people have in common that is excludable from any other race of people. In, in, Were and you offended extent, by Rachel true. Dolezal? It's absurd. No, not yeah, at all. I was just thinking
0: about her. Not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you, no, and, she, and she, so, that was such a lo- missed opportunity. I thought that whole story. I agree. For
2: you, Camille, especially, yeah, you should said, I "Welcome, sister."
1: I still want to. <laughs> listen, you go back far enough. Rachel Dolezal has an African grandmother. Like she is, mm-hmm. she is as African American as plenty of other people are. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I was she was she pretending? But she's braiding her hair in a particular way. Like, is that pretending? She also
0: had a lot of reasons. She had like her parents had adopted a bunch of black kids. She had siblings that she was very close. She shared the culture. Yeah, this is where she felt, this is where she felt, this is where
1: she felt comfortable. And even that, like, what is culturally black? I've I've heard, Mm -hmm. I've heard this phrase. There are as many ways to be black as there are black people, which if we think about this, even for a moment, it becomes obvious that the notion of blackness in that context is just absurd. What is Mm -hmm. there then? What does that mean? Mm (laughs) <laughs> yeah. um, there and, right. and, it, and it truly is the case that there are these various communities. There's no black community. There is no kind of I uniform notion community. of blackness. Right.
0: It's like there's no gay community. There's, there's no, no POC no trans community. community. This
1: is there's a very real sense in which we all generally acknowledge. And there, there are some people who, you know, race realists. But we generally acknowledge that race is a social construct, but we don't appreciate that race is also an ideological commitment. And we've, mm-hmm. we've, we've inherited this notion of human difference, and we take steps regularly, knowingly and unknowingly, to reify it and reaffirm it in all manner of contexts. And I think that that is, it is a, a dreadfully bad idea, and it has helped to at least open us up to the kind of toxins that have like overtaken so many institutions and corrupted so many minds and, and taken people away from a place where they were more likely to recognize the dignity of particular individuals. Um, and in this case, re- lots of well-intentioned people are saying, no, no, I can't do that for you. I can't respect you as a colleague and as a fellow human. I have ex- to, I have to regard you for your phenotypic traits, first and foremost. And I don't think you no half measure will do here. Like you actually mm-hmm. have to extricate the poison and the poison is, is the, the racism, which is, at it is that's the actual like base of the, the notion of race. Like racism gives rise to race. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we have to extricate ourselves from that in order to make progress. And this is, this is not kind of unique to, to kind of race. I think one could take a similar sort of fundamental approach to a lot of prevailing social conflicts and ills. And actually make more progress by thinking about how to reimagine ourselves, the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to the institutions that we all kind of mutually depend upon or at least mutually have to tolerate. Mm.
0: Yeah, I I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, because I know we wanted to make sure we talked to you a, a little bit more about being a father. Yeah. And actually, it's germane to this whole racial discussion. Because, like, I'm thinking, are you going, Are how, what is your level of consciousness with respect to raising your children as black children?
1: Um, well, I, I certainly won't do that because they aren't. Her, they're.
0: And what does that mean? Yeah. And are you, right. Yes, because you don't. And I if people who people who are not familiar with you, it's hard to imagine. But you, sh- we should just say you are on record as not identifying as black.
1: No, no, because it's okay. it's a nonsense concept. I mean, I, but if are you meet you... me, you'll see you'll see that I have, you know, beautiful, not not quite mahogany skin. It's more almost caramel. Um Maybe the the deeper, deeper color of caramel. But again, to the extent you're interested in that sort of thing, I mean, the most important thing to note is that I'm just remarkably handsome and very good looking. (laughs) Um, That's why you're that's why you do an an audio
0: audio only podcast. I do.
1: I do TV, too. You know,
0: I know you do. And I've got
1: a really great camera. So if you guys wanted to see me, I'd be happy to turn it on. You can do that afterwards. Whatever. Um, but no,
0: we 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 got Sarah, Sarah's Yeti mic is, yeah. is the technical star of the of this show. The Yeti, <laughs> there's like the Yeti mic is like the uh, like this wookie, yeah. wookie uh, monster of every podcast. But are you gonna talk? Look, are yeah. are your kids how what are you gonna say to your kids about race? So, because they are going to be treated as black children.
1: I mean, at some point they they may in fact be treated as black children. I can tell a story about that. I mean, I know what I'll tell them. Um, that I I love and admire them, that I respect them, and that I believe that they're capable of doing profound things, um, and that their their value isn't something that they inherited from me or from any tribe it's a a function of, of who they are as individuals. Um, they, 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 I will help hopefully help them to cultivate and to root a a sense of their own self-worth in themselves. Um, and to the extent someone tries to kind of race them, I would probably kind of Socratically interrogate that with them. (laughs) Like, What does that mean?
0: Okay,
1: but are <laughs> what does you that mean in fact, to- I've already had one conversation with Leah, who's four and a half now, almost five, mm-hmm. um, where I said, um we talked a little bit about about race stuff kind of in that we talked about color because she talked about mm-hmm. one of her classmates and she mentioned what color they were and at least tried to kind of describe it and said that they were brown, and I think someone else might have just you know generally described them as black, and we talked a little bit about this and for her, it's just, it's, it's like height. It's like eye color. Mm. Um, it's mm-hmm. not terribly important. Um, I will mm-hmm. say, though, that when we moved um, across coasts uh, on my daughter's first day in her new school, it was during Black History Month in February. And when we arrived at the school that day, there was this display that had been set up for Black History Month and this book that was facing outwards in the display. And the, t- the title of this, story- this book was Hey, Black Child. And I remember her being taken so aback. So they knew
0: she was coming to the school. She was <laughs> exactly. transferring that day. That was for her.
1: And I was just taking like, look her what back they put by off it back by you. And um, you know, I took my daughter back to this classroom and it's interesting because it was her, her first day, and Leah can be a little reluctant in environments like that and in context like that. But she goes and she meets this teacher for the first time and she just kind of latches onto her and hugs her. Um, because she was nice and I was able to leave Leah in that classroom without her bursting into tears. She sort of found someone who was going to comfort her and who was going to look after her and felt safe. And as I was leaving, I just found like one of the members of the staff and I talked to them for a minute and I said, look, it's, it's really important to me that I know that I'm entrusting my daughter to people who see her as an individual, who appreciate that Leah Lynette Emerson Foster is a particular person with particular ideas um she's passionate about music and she's passionate about like stars and like uh, pj mask which god Fortunately she's a little over that now, but um, I don't
0: know what that is. Is that a some kids'
1: animated show? It's terrible. Just awful.
0: Is it a mask? Is it like an animated show? A kid wearing a mask? It's a
1: show about three kids who are maybe in kindergarten or first grade and they never sleep. At night they go out and fight crime, which is generally someone like trying to steal all the city's bubble gum or something. It's terrible. Oh, Oh, I thought they
0: were wearing COVID masks. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: But, you know, I, I had this conversation with them and within a day that book was gone and within a week uh, the display was gone. It was still February.
0: Oh, so you're a book oh, banner. Wow. So there's um, no bo- more I'm books. Not a, they took all I'm the not a book, I'm the not library. a book banner,
1: but I am the sort of person who wants <laughs> to know, like I, I hope all parents do, that when you entrust your children to someone, like it's not the people who are going to essentialize them. And to imagine mm-hmm. that they can only exist within, you know, particular confines and that they have to they have to meet certain requirements because of the way that they look. Um, I want, I want to know that it's someone who like actually is interested in, in seeing them like genuinely seeing them.
2: I think it's a little bizarre too, like a little upsetting to me that that, you know, everything that you're saying, you could have, we could have changed the context and made it, you know, an actual racist, school Mm -hmm. you know in mississippi 40 years ago and all of it all of that would apply that you Mm -hmm. would want you know somebody to be look it's so it's upsetting to me because i'm also uh in a very progressive area of the world now and you know thinking about um sending my children to school here and it starts it started to become an An extra thing that I have to think about that I don't want them to be racialized at school, but I presume that they, I presume that they will be because I'm racialized Mm -hmm. by, you know, my, my progressive, you know, neighbors and, and, uh, you know, back when I was, when I had a real job colleagues, um, (laughs) when they would be surprised when I would say things I was out of. Uh, you know, type, you know, like when I was breaking that whatever stereotype they had in, in their own minds about who I am. Politics is a big one. There's a there's an assumption of a certain kind of politics mm-hmm. um, with every, nearly every progressive person that I meet, um, you know, they both begin conversation as a certain way. I find that so annoying, you know, and and I mean, obviously, it's actually racist, um, but it, yeah, it's, it's almost like, more this annoying. This is the horseshoe theory. <laughs> yeah, it's, this it's is- it's more yeah. annoying because they they feel like they're being very good people when they're doing it, you know, uh, as opposed to just this dismissive attitude towards towards race. They're thinking that actually they're uplifting me and mm-hmm. um, being good to me in some way, doing me a service in some way. So I've, I find that to be uh, one of the reasons I almost don't want to live in a progressive place anymore anymore. Um, and I struggle with that a little bit um, because it's, uh, it's obviously a very complex situation and there are a lot of things I'd go into where do you want to live and where do you want to send your children to school and what messages you want them to be exposed to. But that's certainly something new that I've been thinking about now mm-hmm. um, and I'm kind of surprised to see myself, you know, thinking it. Um, but I did want to, you know, uh, I don't know if you had any, anything, any more thoughts about that, Camille. Um, but if you don't, I have, I've, I've got some plenty, more but we can go wherever you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so now you have a little boy yeah. as well. So you have a girl yeah. and you mentioned that, you know, she's sort of displaying these gender typical, you know, norms it's, it's or, or behavioral, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because we're just pivoting from that race, race conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many ways in which the, Gender differences are real, um, or, 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 you know, real in the sense that there's there's something there Mm -hmm. um, about innately about somebody, Um, and it's tough to navigate, you know, those differences in a climate that that appears to deny them in a way that they don't deny racial differences. (laughs) Um, You know, it's almost like the 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 opposite of, of the approaches that we should be taking. On the other hand. I do understand why we've sort of gone into this denial phase um, when it comes to, to sex differences and um, uh, in particular when we're talking about what a man can achieve and what a woman can achieve. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, um, you know, now you have a boy, um, is this going to affect, like do, do you see yourself as being, um, in a slightly different role for for the two of them for for your for your girl and for your baby boy, or is that something you've not haven't been thinking about so far, or, mm. or you know what are you thinking about that?
1: Yeah, you know the role the role I think is the same at least so far. Um, I I know that when I first discovered I was having a daughter for whatever reason I thought I was going to have a son like, and I had particular ideas and I think Tracy says when I when I first when she told me I was like oh and didn't say much else as opposed to like, Oh wow, it's amazing. And I think it was more so because I just didn't have, uh, I couldn't imagine like what it would be like to be a girl dad. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, ultimately I discovered that I was, I was not only like kind of just remarkable at it. I loved it. Like it was great. (laughs) There was this almost instant intimacy with Leah Mm -hmm. and this just like very deep romance about like our, our um, interactions. And when I discovered I was having a son, I was actually surprised in precisely the opposite direction. I felt like I'd really optimized for this like girl dad thing. <laughs> and I wondered if I could have that same kind of relationship with Cohen. Um, and um, unsurprisingly, I <laughs> discovered that he gets here and it it's like so much the same in many ways. Yeah, Like it's it's still like intimate and I, I kiss him frequently and just like it's it's amazing. Um, And Mm -hmm. at the same time, I will say that, and it it may be a little different because my mother is um, around now because of COVID, like she just like for two years there almost like she just was not around and couldn't be involved. And now she's here every day, like helping with him and has a relationship with him, watching her interact with him and seeing perhaps a little more of myself as a baby in, in my son, like imagining that more. Um has mm-hmm. certainly brought some different things to the surface um, and makes me think a bit differently about kind of myself. um and but I don't think it makes me think any differently about my two children. I will say that I, I definitely have had moments where um I've thought about like gender stereotypes and how I don't want any anyone to imagine that there are things that leah can't do on a, on account of her being you know a girl um i've never taken her to like a science program for girls or anything but i've i've always tried <laughs> to to like open up the world to her and show her mm-hmm. all kinds of things that are interesting to me um in hopes that mm-hmm. it'll kind of be of interest to her at least if it is that i can encourage it or not and leah loves like rocket ships and she talks about being a scientist when she grows up we went on a a camping trip, camping in in quotes, because we're staying in these beautiful places. Um, But we went to Utah and we went to go look at dinosaur bones and fossils and paleoglyphs. And she absolutely loved it when she wasn't having, you know, four-year-old meltdowns. You used to, it's the funny thing about traveling with someone that young is you have these like brilliant moments you'll never forget, um, spliced between these these meltdowns that you're trying to manage. Sometimes at
0: ten, Yeah, really. At That's night. ambitious. You went camping by yourself yeah. with a four year old.
1: Yeah. That's- but again, it's camping, quote unquote. Um but yeah was it
0: glamping but yes you still you can't definitely glamp glamping. with the she doesn't <laughs> but even that she won't appreciate that no. not only does she not appreciate the, the beautiful nature she doesn't appreciate the five star yes
1: uh, <laughs> well tint. I don't I don't know about that at some point they come to expect it whether or not they appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a bathroom in this tent and hardwood floors. Like, that's the expectation. Oh, oh hardwood <laughs> oh, Daddy, <sorry. laughs> Daddy works but too hard you- to sleep on the ground. <laughs> I'll tell um, you that right now.
0: But are you, are you conscious of exposing her to these things because she is a girl? Because it's interesting, because the way you're talking about this, mm-hmm. it's still... Something is rattling the house. Sorry about that. Um, it's... Are you aware, like, I don't want to... I'm not going to give her a doll or a Barbie. I'm going to expose her to this other thing. Like, how much? Well, is no, that for me, I'm just giving.
1: Mind? I'm just giving her what's of interest to me. Um, what you're I'm, into. I've thought about the fact that other people might do this to her. Um, but what I what I think about perhaps more than, oh no, people are going to deprive her of things because she's a girl is her developing a a kind of self awareness based on the expectation that people will. Kind of discriminate against her in different contexts and being too concerned about this. Like I've, I've seen it happen with a great many people with respect to race where they become these kind of paranoiacs. Mm-hmm. And I think it's debilitating in a lot of mm-hmm. uh, profound mm-hmm. and small ways. And I would hate for something like that to happen to my daughter for, for any reason. Um, but it does seem to me that, you know, gender is kind of one of those axioms upon which it could happen that I. That I perhaps need to do a little bit of, but thinking do you think it's going to happen as
0: much? So, like, yeah. what? So much of what this show is about mm-hmm. is looking at how overblown some of these anxieties are. The idea that women are in danger whenever they go out. The idea that they're going to be mm-hmm. discriminated against, sort of by default in the workplace. Th- this is the kind of stuff that we look at. Yeah. So, like, Sarah, when you hear this, are you thinking like? Because I'm kind of thinking, well, no, like Leah she's she can write her ticket like she is uh, it, with respect to gender at the very least mm-hmm. I can't imagine her having the kind of hard time that that you seem to be on the lookout for oh no it's not
1: it's not so much me worried about her having a hard time it's me right. worrying about her buying into the the belief. That she will have. That she really Right, have a heart. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which is yes, a, which yes. is a different sort of which is a different sort of concern, and and really is my kind of prevailing concern, both with like the race and the gender stuff. It's the yeah, kind it's, of paranoia related to it, as opposed to the reality of like the lived experience.
2: Right, right. I mean, I think there are, there, there is a sort of I I get where you're coming from, Camille, in that you can calcify those differences as well mm-hmm. um by just uh even that that helpful sort of girls can do math you know yes girls can do science. girls can do anything yeah, and then yeah. you sort of think uh. like wait a minute who's saying we can't like exactly. <laughs> now that you mention it <laughs> yes. i guess i can't
1: yes it's <laughs> the double whammy of black girls rock which is kind of like are you serious I, I rock, hoot, but, but yeah. not for either of those reasons. It's, it's, it's one of the, it's a, actually, I imagine a national program that has been designed and there are t-shirts and I imagine curriculums wow. and all sorts of other stuff. And it's just telling black girls that they can do, that they can do anything. Oh my There's gosh. also a black girls code, which again is kind of yeah. like, well, why would that be surprising?
0: Well, there's also there's girls who code. Yeah, I'm sure. Even black girls who code. (laughs) Yeah, black black
2: non-binary girls that code. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've heard of this black girl magic. I've heard that, but I don't know if that's that's that's, a thing. Is that a thing? thing. No, that's a a thing
1: too. Yeah, I've seen. I've certainly have. That's one of the things that have been so uh, like distressing and annoying to me um, over the course of the last two and a half years. like The number of rather bright friends that I have, many of whom are like first generation Americans who happen to have skin tones that are close to my own, uh, who are now much more affirmatively Black and mm-hmm. have bought mm-hmm. into a lot of those tropes and who, mm-hmm. who own the t-shirts now and use the hashtags. And it's not merely about the kind of predation of Black bodies being broken by police like there is like actual convictions <laughs> about like the beauty of blackness and the importance of hashtag black travel. Like, are you kidding me? You're just some <laughs> mm-hmm. some privileged asshole who's going on vacation. Well, in traveling Saint while Barts. black
0: is yeah. dangerous. Well, this right?
1: no, but this this is them glorying. They hope that yeah, you're finding right, their Instagram right. because they've used the you know I'm traveling and I'm black hashtag, which is like you you mm, flew on a oh. plane like okay <laughs> that's fine yeah. I suppose, um, but it just it, it's it's sad to see people kind of buy into these ideas to 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 refurbish them in a, in an important respect, um, as opposed to kind of grow beyond them. So I, yeah. I'm con- we're conflating the race and the the gender conversation, but that's because my perspective on them, I suppose. No, it are, it is, is we we mean to thing.
0: conflate it because it's all coming from the same place. You know, one of the worst draggings I ever had on Twitter was when I made a joke about. Uh, PhDs. Mm. So I made a joke about Dr. Jill Biden. I said something <laughs> like, you know, because she has an EDD, she has a doctorate in education and it was just a silly off the cuff thing. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I'm just tired of of you know, people with certain PhDs in- insisting that they be called doctor and I'm looking at you Jill Biden. And this <laughs> got you know, took caught on fire on Twitter with all these people with PhDs yelling at me and everything. And then it got worse and worse and worse. And it became a black thing. Oh, very quickly became racialized. (laughs) What? How does that happen? (laughs) Okay, let me tell you, I was like, what is going on here? Because suddenly it's like, you're a, you know, you're a Karen. What do you know? You're just jealous and shut up white girl. Don't put down PhDs. And John McWhorter DM would me on Twitter. And he said, look, this is what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> he said, my mother had a PhD and she held on to that doctor title like you wouldn't believe. Nobody was going to call her anything but a doctor because she earned that. And it meant everything in terms of her her ascendancy, mm-hmm. her moving up the social rank and her entire self-concept. And so when you insult PhDs, you are when you diminish PhDs. You are, you are diminishing people who hold them dear. And a lot of people who hold them dear are black people. Mm. And it was a nightmare. Huh. I mean, it the tweet, it still pops up now. It'll, it'll pop up in my notifications. Huh. <laughs> and this was two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. yeah. Well, Don't that's get
2: it. So... Yeah. Huh. If you. I feel like it must be, you know, like I, so I've been Karen a few times, like there, there's some, sometimes I've had profile pictures, where I guess I seem like maybe I'm not brown or something, or it's racially ambiguous. Um, And, and then if I touch on race, then I get dragged, just dragged. Oh, because they think (laughs) you're white? Yeah. Yeah. And then I get, you know, shut up white woman, uh, white woman, white womaning and Karen, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so, um, it's, it's such a dramatically different experience. You know, when you're talking about racial issues as a visibly, like, here I am, look at how brown, brown I Mm -hmm, am. Like, obviously mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a person of color. It's the melanin, melanin
1: force field, Sarah. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I I I I will still get, I could still get dragged by, you know, black Twitter because, you know, they're like more oppressed than me or whatever. (laughs) Um, But definitely just just the color does slow things down or make it not as extreme of a dragging when it happens. But I I just, I, one time I had a thread about intersectionality. Now I think intersectionality is nonsense, (laughs) right? And so I, 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 yeah, I had one of those (laughs) mistake. It was, well, no, it wasn't a mistake. I'm glad I did it. Um, but it first it reached the people that I wanted it to reach. Um, and then it, you know, you know how it, things like tweets like escape off into a different. Yeah, they kind they of- <laughs> always sit there fine for like a week or so. <laughs> yeah, and then, right. and then they're in a different like social bubble, yeah. and now something else is happening, and you can feel it um, with the way that engagements shift, and people don't know you, and they're making all kinds of, um, you know, the, the, uh, you know, pronouncements about what kind of person you must be, and I just I happen to have a profile picture that I guess made me look white. You couldn't really see my face, I guess you saw <laughs> mostly my hair and and man, did I get Karen just just unbelievable Karen 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 for I don't know how many like hundreds did you fight that. I muted it, I muted it because I just couldn't take it anymore um but it was it was explicit racial abuse, that's what mm-hmm. it was um it didn't affect me because it wasn't really actually targeted at me, you know I'm not a I'm actually not a white woman, but it was bizarre. And it was strange to experience and I felt, you know, I, I was, I felt lucky, you know, I, I felt like I'm privileged <laughs> to be, you know, a woman of color who can, so I can come into these issues and speak openly, um, and not get, not get this kind of care and treatment. So I'm sorry about that, Megan. I, um, I can empathize. Well, that's why, actually. that's why yeah. I
0: have you. That's why we do this show together.
2: Yeah. I'm her shield. You're, yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't have had no interest in It's a race, it's no a race Pokemon, actually, is just yeah. yeah. how it works. Yeah. yeah. Race, immigrants, what What else? <laughs> yes. Ex-Muslims, like really, so I really about wish about yeah. I really
0: wish you would be, like, trans. Gay, yes. yeah. 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 yeah, that's not the even one. Gay. We're missing yeah. that. It's not
2: too late. You know, you but that's on you, anytime. you have to pick that one up because I'm, picking, I'm carrying a lot of labels yeah. and I think it's time for you to come out as queer. You're doing a lot of
0: emotional labor. Or a pr- identity labor. Yeah, that's true. I'm just, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm super boring. I don't, <laughs> I've, I don't even have any sort of disability mm. or bad back or anything. Oh, that, that'll um, come with time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> See, my category is that I'm old. <laughs> Um wow well we've had you for a while is there anything um we 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 were going to talk to you about porn because we talk a lot about it on that what? show but it's uh, um, we talk a lot about that yeah. on this show but uh um, yeah we do
2: but not yeah. like explicitly like, we're not like we're not like d- discussing the details yeah, like, of are, pornography. like what
0: what do you prefer or <laughs> what, what kind of things? what am i
2: into
0: preferences i think
1: porn yeah. i think porn is bad and wrong do, I don't do you think that anything.
0: well i mean because we have this dichotomy and we've talked about this mm-hmm. with there's a hypersexualization of the culture mm-hmm. there's pornography everywhere there's hookup culture which seems to be Pretty pervasive, and then at the same time, we have generations coming up that are having less sex than ever. Mm-hmm. So, is that something that you have thoughts on? You're you're in a little bit of a you you have an interesting perspective because you're sort of you're sitting you're you're, you're perched above us you know look, looking down because you are not yourself immersed in this culture or having to negotiate this right now. Yeah,
1: no, but I but I have I have young children, so I'm, I think about them growing up and becoming. Kind of uh, fully autonomous adults, and eventually having intimate sexual relationships with people, and I hope that they find fulfillment and happiness. And that oh my they God, avoid... my
0: parents would never have said that. About <laughs> me, by the way, well, That's I'm, remarkable I'm saying I hope they find
1: fulfillment that. and happiness in all ways, right? And being able to imagine, like even that when I was in my twenties, <laughs>
0: my mother would never have well, said that. I think yeah.
1: for well, no. Here, so here is some sort of gender bias. It's easier for me to imagine like my son becoming that as opposed to my daughter, like kind of this fully satisfied and realized person in an intimate way. Um,
0: (laughs) Well,
2: it's hard for women to be satisfied. That's interesting.
1: Much easier for me to think about that with respect to myself. And it it could be because I can relate to it in a different way, but also, I I mean, I'm pretty sure like most men are kind of wired in a slightly different way than most women when it comes to these things. Um, And there's just a lot of like, Intimate predation <laughs> that takes place. You mean
0: it's going to be easier for him? Well, to no, no. I find I'm, satisfaction. I'm, I'm, I think that, I'm worried
1: more about the the predation. I'm worried more oh, about I like see, the men oh, okay. who who are only interested in the conquest and not interested in relationships and the possibility of kind of being hurt in those circumstances or kind of buying into a particular particular cultural narrative that says, "Well, I can be that way too," um, which you know, you could still get victimized and you could still find yourself in a place where you're kind of sad, and lonely and unfulfilled, despite the fact that you've, you know, tried to develop calluses around yourself. Um, in but that are way. you
0: are you worried about him growing up in a culture that talks about things like toxic masculinity? I, I can't um, tell you. We have a lot of friends of mine. Kids are going to college now and mothers of sons who at least the ones who talk honestly
2: mm-hmm.
0: are much more worried about their sons. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. They're much more worried about their sons being accused of something in -hmm. uh, in the sexual arena than they're worried about their daughters being victimized. I I hadn't
1: hadn't thought about it until you just said it, which again, for me, considering I was with this one woman for most of my young life, (laughs) I've never had to worry about that kind of stuff. I'd, I, I mean, I, I, the
0: young men that I talk to, they're they're pretty terrified, and it could just be that the ones who talk to me mm-hmm. tend to over-index for this particular concern, and you know, they're not going to be the <laughs> they're not going to be the uh, Adam Davidsons of the world. But uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I think it's I think it's pretty amazing. I it's men are suffering now. I mean, this is again. Before we let you go, I want to mm-hmm. make sure we kind of dip into this a little bit because. Yeah. It's never women have never been doing better across so many metrics. Mm-hmm. They're getting better educations, higher education. The gender wage gap is almost entirely a motherhood penalty. We can go on and on. And and men are falling behind. They're not going to college. They're not moving out of their parents' homes. They're just there. There is a feeling that um, it's it's not a good time to be a man. Mm-hmm. And so. I wonder how that makes you feel as a man and as someone who's going to raise a man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it primarily with respect to my my son. I mean, I, I don't have, feel any sort of general like limitations on account on account of my gender, given the context that I move in um, and exist in. Um, right, but you know, I do. I especially now that you're you're talking about, it, I hadn't really thought about it in that in that way before. Like the particular vulnerabilities that he might be open to because of the, the kind of cultural disposition that we have now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so much the individualist and I so want to help them kind of cultivate a sense of themselves in that, in that way that it's hard for me to worry about some of those particular concerns with respect to him. I mean, my, my thinking is on some level that if he's kind of sufficiently culturally adept and handsome is like kind of appropriate, like facial (laughs) symmetry, he'll be able to navigate those waters well Uh, and won't get himself into trouble. But I don't know.
0: Sarah was saying the same thing. Is that that right? If she she dresses her child well and, and her kids go to school well-dressed that they'll be treated better well
1: i mean honestly we don't talk enough we do not talk enough about like cultural aptitude and how much that says like is the thing that can actually get Mm -hmm. you through your kind of uh, your adolescence um in a way that's generally successful i mean like it's 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 vital it's vitally what important. do you mean by
0: cultural aptitude? Like
1: you're you're cool enough. You're sufficiently cool oh, yeah. to like hang out with the jocks and to still be friends with all of the nerds. Like that's what you want mm. <laughs> yeah. ultimately.
0: Is that what you were?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could I could walk in both worlds. You
2: seem like you were popular. In, I, I could walk in, in both
1: worlds. I was sufficiently popular. Um, but I was also mm. the kid in like the magnet program who only had three classes in his final two years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could mm-hmm. I could do I could do both of the things. Um, and I wasn't completely socially awkward, which, you know, again, I want, I want my children to be well-rounded young people and eventually well-rounded adults. And that's, that's the job. And I think part of, part of achieving that is having a a kind of sufficiently small footprint when it comes to the particular lessons that I'm trying to drive home to them, like self-respect, um, a, a, a sense that you are, and a friend of mine actually said this to me yesterday, that you're responsible for your own happiness, um, and that you're capable of achieving more than you imagine you can, and if I can get you to just grok those those principles, then I've done my job. Um, and a lot of that, I think, is probably just reputation, repetition and being available. Um, but I'll find out if that that theory of the of the game is is wrong much later, I suppose. But hopefully, I'm right about it.
0: Wow. Anything else,
2: Sarah? Any I mean, more I questions? could just keep you Final on thoughts? forever. Camille. I know. Camille. Yeah. Well, we, we should talk? More. I feel like we haven't we have we haven't really gone in deep enough into the porn stuff. <laughs> I, for, uh, I know.
1: for sure. I don't know what you guys are into. That's the real question.
2: <laughs> well, uh, Maybe yeah. We need to
1: talk. I don't know.
2: Uh, um,
0: we're we're into audio porn only. Oh. I don't, yeah. The ASMR. The, yeah. No. No. No video. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well. This has been amazing. Um,
1: I appreciate the invitation. Really, I mean, I I did campaign for this, um, so I'm I'm happy to win. I don't know
2: why. Why did you (laughs) want to come? Yeah, why? Yeah, we were just we were just like.
0: Because I, I <laughs> like, does he
2: know what <laughs> I, know. I like? Did you? Were you have this confused
0: with you. another show? No, I like and both Did you think this was Red you. Scare? <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. I'm very actually. What do you think of Red Scare? Can Red scare. we talk about that? Um, you I are. think, I think I, funny. You guys
0: are friends with them.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, friendly. I mean, I think they're funny. I think it's interesting. They are cool. Yeah. That's yeah. what they are. Yes. Yeah,
0: they're they're cool. They're yeah,
1: cool in a don't care kind of way.
0: We've just been trying to decide if if we
2: should even I don't hang out with to... people
1: who aren't cool let me just put it that way
2: oh well, well, thank, thank you, you. yeah, yeah. Thank you. I feel I feel blessed I feel um elevated <laughs> with your <laughs> now, yeah, I can't
1: say what happens after huge, I leave here like anything could happen next time so you what know. do
0: you think about Sarah's Yeti Mike? i i just i feel like we Gosh, i feel I'm like so we need sorry. to so, I feel so no no, no I, I, I love I, it i just feel like people should understand so this <laughs> sarah has a new mic today it's actually it's an old the, mic and it's okay it's the oh, one, it's one i'm using today, today. it's a, it's like different different <laughs> is the, the word and it's, not it's the yeti classic yeah. so yeah. so the so podcasters you tend to use this mic called the yeti mic which mm-hmm is not what I use but people love it and um but it has very it's very persnickety and so if (laughs) if you've heard sarah like that's going in and out uh persnickety are you serious no
1: no I'm not serious I'm sure it is I'm sure it is on some level like because everything is but all right because that I said you just terrified (laughs) me because I say I use that word all the time no it's fine go
0: um Uh, yeah. So the, so the, Sarah's, uh, sound quality has been, uh, adventurous in
2: this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I apologize. No, I, no,
0: don't apologize.
2: Don't apologize. I've been, I've been like leaning over on this thing for the past I know, hour and a half and, and my foot's asleep. I'm my sorry. Neck okay. That's why we should
0: wind down. <laughs> and up. but it's you, still,
2: it's still not that good. So I don't, know. It's okay. Yeah. It's good right now.
0: It just, I, th- I don't know, Camille, how you feel about it. Th- th- uh, podcasting this the audio thing is just drives me crazy i mean yeah. i've been podcasting for two years now uh-huh. and i have just nightmares about it's the thing not recording i mean i don't even need to have nightmares because oh, it yeah. happens in real life oh no Crashes we've, i've in had lo-
1: lost episodes for a oh. variety of different reasons every possible problem imaginable that there's no way to fix any of this um, but yeah, we got to We got to get you on an SM7B, um, Sarah and away from that Yeti. Okay. Well, yeah. okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Send me a link. I that, have no people? idea what L- that even means. Low profile means. boom mic.
0: Paid, paid subscribers. <laughs> That's where your money's going to go.
1: Low profile okay. boom mic, uh, and an SM7B and, yeah, uh, Help we'll us invest in ourselves pay. Yeah.
2: invest in better yeah. quality, you know, audio yeah. for exactly. you. Really? Yeah. It's for you. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, Camille,
2: come back and talk to us
0: again.
1: Thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank
0: Thank you. you. Just remember there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other.